Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Today is episode 114. Last week, we had Canada's finest, Alex LeBay, on the show. And this week, we have the spiciest guest yet, Jose Castillo. He's an MC, he's a speaker entrepreneur extraordinaire motivational speaker he is a great great dude and you guys have probably seen him before but you may not know too much about him so i'm excited for you guys to learn a little bit more about jose his story and what he does in nascar pocono was great too wasn't it we'll talk about that race weekend overall two different winners two different races two great races and before we do all that let's throw it over to papa siegel for this week's way back segment where he's paying homage to a certain number 14. Thank you, Duve, and welcome everyone to episode 114 and this week's look back at another legendary racing number. While number 43 may be the most well-known number in American motorsports, 14 isn't too far behind. 43 is synonymous with the king. 14 is associated with the man who some consider to be the greatest American race car driver of all time. No, Clint Boyer, I'm not talking about you. And no to those of you out there who are thinking about Tony Stewart right now. Tony, however, would know who I'm referring to, and he'd be the first to shout it out since he drove the number in honor of this man. Anthony Joseph Foyt Jr., is the epitome of a badass wheelman. How many other drivers do you know who've won the Daytona 500, the Indy 500, the Rolex 24, and the 24 Hours of Le Mans? The answer would be none, because AJ is the only one ever to have done it. He won Indy four times and was the first person to do so. My favorite Indy driver, Al Unser, is one of that select club. Foyt won the IROC Series Championship twice. He racked up seven NASCAR wins in all, including the 1972 Daytona 500. He won 138 USAC races in all, and more than a dozen USAC championships. He could drive and win in anything he raced. Foyt was one tough SOB as well. In January 1965, at the Motor Trend 500 at Riverside, his brakes failed while challenging Dan Gurney for the lead. He spun into the infield, launched off an embankment, and took flight before slamming down and spinning end over end. The track doctor pronounced Foyt dead at the scene, but Parnelli Jones was able to revive him after seeing some movement. Google the final scene from the movie Redline 7000 and you can see it for yourself. A.J. Foyt has been inducted into more halls of fame than we have time to mention. 
He also was named one of NASCAR's greatest drivers of all time in 1988. Though slowed by a career's worth of broken bones and other racing injuries, along with other health issues, the irascible A.J. Foyt is still kicking ass and giving him hell at age 86. That's all for this week. Back to you, Duve. Thank you, Dad. Appreciate that look back. Hopefully we'll get some more Mama Seagull uh, kachigas in the near future. You never know. Let's start off this episode as we always do with a good old-fashioned Pocono was awesome. Doubleheader weekend of action from the Tricky Triangle. First race on Saturday had strategy, had natural cautions, had an insane finish. How about it? What more could you want? Truly. Here's the call of the final lap going into the final turn from Rick Allen and NASCAR and NBC. You've seen it by now, but let's hear it one more time. Only eight before him have ever won four. Oh, he's got a flat tire. The left front tire's flat. It's down. He's going to go into the wall. Kyle Larson in the wall. The 48 of Bowman's going to get by him. A flat tire for Kyle Larson. And now Alex Bowman is going to win at Pocono. Unbelievable. Man, oh, man. Larson blows a tire. Bowman is there to capitalize after he held him off for seemed like an eternity. And he wins at Pocono, his third win of the season. That is nuts. Bo- Bowman's having a good season. I was about to call him Bocono. Uh, I predicted at the beginning of the season, actually, that this was going to be Bowman's breakout year. He was going to have multiple wins. I got to say, though, I did not expect all three of his wins to come like this. And look, was he lucky? Absolutely. But was he good? Absolutely. But you got to be both. You got to put yourself in a position to be lucky and good to win races now in the Cup Series. So let's hear from Alex himself. Take us through the end of the race, and it sucks that he can't really celebrate. Yeah, it was like 100 feet. Like, I keyed up, and I was like, I'm sorry. He's blowing a tire. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I don't. I don't really know what to think. This is the strangest win I've ever been a part of. Like, I thought I was running second, which was still going to be a good day for us with kind of how we we struggled throughout the course of the day. Um, But then he blows a tire when we win. Can't do a burnout because I got to race the car tomorrow. Um, I typically stand on the roof of the car. Can't do that because I got to race the car tomorrow. I typically drink all the beers. Can't do that because I got to race a car tomorrow. Um... I have to be way more responsible than I really want to be right now. So uh, it's, it's definitely been a, a unique win. But, yeah, I've never been in a situation like that. I was literally keyed up apologizing for burning the front tires off the thing and saw his crush panel fly out and him have a flat. So, um, yeah, I can't believe it. Fear not, though. He did celebrate uh, after the race on Sunday. He tweeted that he got a bunch of tacos for his 48 crew guys, and they had a lot of beer as well. So good on them. And then we come back on Sunday for the next race on the next day. And boy, did that deliver too. More strategy, more natural cautions, tons of fuel conservation. And Kyle Busch wins the race, his fourth at Pocono, second of the season. He had no first gear, no second gear. I don't think he had third gear. He was stuck in fourth for about half the race. So how about he walk us through his eventful day from the transmission issues to saving fuel Everything in between. It was a pretty eventful day for Rowdy, but it wound up in victory lane. You know, you, d- you don't ever really know. Um, but when we left pit road, 
that was that was it. Like the clutch was gone. There was no more. Um, so I wasn't sure that I'd be able to make it down pit road again and be able to leave uh, with just my guys behind me pushing me. You know, uh, even when I left that last time, it was smoking. I don't know what was smoking, but probably the clutch because the pl- clutch was fried. Um, was was smoking. But um, fortunately, we were just able to get back around and get the uh, get the restart timed right, and then just kind of start picking them off. And, and we knew we were going to be close. We came down that last time to top off. Um, to put us within a lap, lap and a half of being able to make it to the end. And I think I've been in that same situation here a few years ago, and we ran out of gas uh, on the last lap coming out of turn two, and, and we, we weren't able to win. So it was a little bit of, uh, I guess, vindication um, that, that we came back from that one to be able to win this one. So kept fighting through it, you know. I mean, when you're in all those different positions and situations, you have no clue what's going on around you. Uh, the crew chief can kind of tell the story and the spotter can tell the story and they were and I was asking them to tell me the story um, you know because at first they were like you know that it's just you and the 23 that's going to be able to make it and then all of a sudden uh, well now the 11's going to try to make it now the five's going to try to make it well, well now the one's going to try to make it and it's like guys like come on give me the facts here give me the story right and now the 24 is going to try to make it so uh, a lot of guys were stretching it and trying to see if they could make it but this place is just so big around, and with this aero package being so draggy, you, you can't really lift early getting into the corners and save fuel. It's very, very hard to do. Um, so we were just fortunate enough to be in that right position, being in the uh, fourth spot of that draft. It's his 59th career Cup Series win for KFB. Again, fourth at Pocono. He's low-key good at the Tricky Triangle. And it's a little bit poetic. Jeff Gluck talked about it on the teardown this week, but... Kyle Busch was going for what would then have tied a record four straight wins in the Cup Series, I think in 2015, when he came back from his leg injury. And he ran out of fuel at Pocono on the last lap. Kyle Larson trying to do the same thing, going for his fourth straight points-paying win. Didn't run out of fuel on the last lap, but he hit the wall. And then the next day, Kyle Busch capitalizes when everybody else ran out of fuel. So Pocono, fuel conservation, they go together like peanut butter and jelly. Also, he had some thoughts to share about double headers, which I found interesting, and apparently a lot of other people on NASCAR Twitter did as well because the tweet that I had about that went semi-viral. So here's Kyle Busch's thoughts about the weekend doubleheader at Pocono and whether or not that has some staying power in the sport overall. My personal opinion, um, with as much as the schedule's kind of changed over the last couple of years and, and what all's been going on uh, with different racetracks and such, and fans' reception to coming and supporting some of those racetracks, we don't need to go to any racetrack more than once. You know what I mean? Spread the wealth. That's my opinion. Um, I like how we're able to, to take a date from Dover, go to Nashville. You know, uh, I'm going, I don't know why we don't go to Chicago still, and we go to Atlanta twice. That was dumb. Um, I don't know why we don't go to Kentucky. You know, apparently that governor's pretty pissed off. That wasn't a smart move. Um, so just, you know, going to these places, you still want to be able to spread the wealth around a little bit. And some of these places, I mean, Kentucky, I I can see where the fans might be a little upset about Kentucky is the, the traffic situation. Um, the first year was really bad, but you know, as it fizzles out and everybody figures it out, it'll get, it'll get better over time. Texas, I don't know how many guys were at Texas for the first few at Texas, right? I mean, that thing was horrendous. I'm sure Dustin was there. Um, you know, so it was, um, quite interesting. Just the horror stories. I wasn't there, but the horror stories you heard about it. Um, so anyway, that's my, my opinion. Like we should just go to every place once, find a couple more places that we can go to and, um, and spread the wealth. So I think he's right to a certain degree. I I think you got to go to the championship venue twice 
because he can't do back-to-back races there if the championship venue has two races. I think you go to Daytona twice because it's Daytona. It's, it's the 500. It's the biggest venue we got. Charlotte, you can probably go to twice just because it's in everybody's backyard and maybe another place or two, but for the most part, I agree. You go to Pocono, get it out in one weekend. Texas, same thing. Atlanta, same thing. Vegas, probably same thing. You shorten the races, you shorten the schedule, you make everybody happy, and everybody still gets the same amount of money, probably. The weekend was great, though. I mean, fans showed up in droves, the racing was good, and what I just mentioned, the races were short. That was the big thing for me. Can you imagine both of these races being 500 miles? Because I couldn't, and I don't want to imagine that. Shorter is better. Mark it down. Let's quickly run through our other races that took place this weekend. Austin Sindrick wins the Xfinity Series race, his fourth win of the season over there. He wanted this one pretty bad. He circled it on the calendar when he knew he was coming back to Xfinity for 2021. This is one of several racetracks that I feel like uh, from last year, it was was probably what I was looking forward to most right off the bat at getting to go for, for another Xfinity Series championship, knowing that I get to come back to places like Pocono and and, and, and Bristol and, and so on, places where we had some get away from us out, out of our control. And, but that's racing. I mean, there's plenty of guys that can say that. But um, when you can come back and actually accomplish your goals, um, some, some that have a little bit of emotion behind them is pretty fun. How about John Hunter Nemechek beating the boss man Kyle Busch once again? Wins his fifth race of the year already with two races to go in the regular season. And in the five races that his boss Kyle Busch competed in for trucks, John Hunter beat him head-to-head. Three wins for him, two wins for Kyle, and that's why he did a celebratory bow at the end of things. Being able to beat Kyle this year, uh, three out of his five races, um, definitely means a lot to myself and our group as well. So um, I'm proud of the effort from everyone at KVM, Toyota, TRD. Uh, Thankful for the opportunity from Jack, Tyler, uh, David Wilson, everyone um, at at Toyota, Slugger Labby, um, and then obviously Kyle and Samantha and everyone at Kyle Busch Motorsports for believing in me and uh, giving me another shot. Also got to give a shout out to Corey Heim and Venturini Motorsports who won the Arkham Menard Series race on Friday. He outlasted Ty Gibbs to win that race. Some wild restarts in that one. Anytime you beat Ty Gibbs in anything, you're probably pretty good. So got to give him his flowers. Before we throw it over to our interview with Jose Castillo, we got another sponsored read on the podcast this week. And it once again is about Rhino Classifieds. They came on the scene recently with a bang. They gave away Vaughn Gittin Jr.'s drift truck. And Rhino, if you didn't know, was created by the founder of Racing Junk because he wanted to create a more streamlined buying and selling app that allowed users to see just what they wanted rather than all the ads that get in the way and all the crap that nobody wants. So head on over to rhino.co. That's R-Y-N-O.co. Sign up for a free account and find the car part, car, classic car, modified street machine, whatever it is you're looking for, or you can even post yours. And it's a classifieds for racers built by racers. So if you're tired of all those ads, the random crap that shows up when you're looking to buy or sell your car parts, Rhino Classifieds was created just for you. Welcome to a streamlined buying and selling app created by racers, for racers, and race fans. Modifieds, classics, race cars, that special big block you need, the trailer to move your baby around the country, We got you covered at Rhino Classifieds, so go to rhino.co now and sign up for a free account, post for free, 
get a chance to win a badass UTV. Interview time! Jose Castillo is a spicy man. Spicy, spicy man. We talked about his career, where the spiciness comes from, his career in NASCAR specifically, and he just makes me wanna be a better person. Like, he is just a motivational dude who brings a smile to my face, he radiates positive energy. Again, you guys have probably seen him on your screens or on social if you guys have been to the track before, but you may not know his story. And I wanna give a shout out to Jeff Gluck, obviously. I shouted him out in the interview, but he did a How I Got Here series on Jose a couple years ago for jeffgluck.com. I re-listened to that, reread that, got a lot of questions that I asked Jose from that, and Jose retold a lot of cool stories and, and nice anecdotes. So without further ado, here is the Spice Man himself, Jose Castillo. Very happy to be joined by the spicy man himself. It's Jose Castillo this week. He is an MC, a Jumbotron master, all-around cool guy, radiating positivity. When you popped up on the Zoom, I literally got a smile on my face because A, as we were just talking about, I haven't seen you for a while. I've seen you on screens, but I haven't talked to you in a while. And B, you brighten up my day. So thank you for that. Oh, man. Thank you so much, Davey. The same goes for you. I love seeing your face. You're back with other people. So I'm stoked for today. Yeah, I'm stoked as well. Let's get into it, man. I want to learn a little bit more about you. I want the people to learn a little bit more about you as well. So as I mentioned, you are a professional MC, award-winning speaker. But the first thing that comes to mind when I think of that is like, how does somebody get into that line of work? How does that happen? And I know it's a long road and you've experienced a lot of trials and tribulations along the way, but we'll get into it. Give me the long and the short of it to start off. How did you get to where you are now as an award-winning speaker and an MC that everybody knows and loves? Well, I tell my mother-in-law that I work for the CIA because it's easier than trying to describe what I do for a living. Um, <laughs> Probably. It's it's tough when you say that you're an MC and host because instantly people think about either MC, they're like, oh, are you in a rap group? And I'm like, no, not yet. And then host, it's <laughs> like, do you just throw parties for a living? And that's kind of true. Uh, but from the time mm -hmm. I was a little kid, I have loved welcoming people, uh, helping them be a part of something bigger than myself. And that's really where it started was, you know, on the stage doing some, you know, drama, some theater, being in front of a video camera. But throughout that whole process, every time I've done that, it's always been about how do I bring other people into the party? How do I help them have a good mm -hmm. time? Um, and so from a very young age, I did, you know, whether it was falling down in front of my window, in front of the dining room table window there uh, for the family, making them laugh. Um, I did a stint mm -hmm. of stand-up comedy was when I was in college, yeah. uh, but I, I keep coming back to the host thing, which is a thread through every job I've ever done, which is making people feel comfortable, making them feel welcome, and that they're a part of what's going on. And that's what I love about this big family in NASCAR and in motorsports is that it is it, it is a family and it is a party and it is an experience. And that's my job is to welcome those people in and, and make them feel like they're a part of the show. Well, you do that and then some, and uh, I want to get into your process and kind of how you go about that. But to get there, we got to go back a little bit. So I know people probably recognize you from the big screens at NASCAR tracks all across the country, Trackside Live, that's kind of got revived in the last couple of years. But before all that, you studied marketing and communications. You went to Barry College and East Tennessee State. So at that point, I assume you maybe had an idea 
of maybe where you wanted to go, but you look at what you're doing now and you look at what you majored in in college and you say, okay, something isn't really lining up there. <laughs> you know, it started out with just a love of talking and communicating and speech was probably my favorite class. I really enjoyed giving speeches. I enjoyed drama and humorous interpretation, being up on a stage, um, having a microphone in hand and being able to, to talk to people. That always felt very comfortable for me. And I love the Seinfeld joke where Seinfeld's like at a funeral and he's like, you know, most people, you know, their number one fear is public speaking. The number two is death. So at a funeral, they'd rather be giving the eulogy or they'd rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. Yeah. And for me, it was always like, I'd rather be giving the eulogy. I would rather uh -huh. take the microphone, share stories, help people have fun. So it started with, you know, the communication side was just the easiest way to go get a major. Like it was like, well, right. I don't know what I'm going to major in, but it, it really started probably with that stand-up comedy routine that I did at my first year in college at Barry College. Uh, they did a freshman talent show. And I got up and I did a couple, uh, you know, old routines from Monty Python and some other things I'd memorized for, for drama. And there was a guy in the audience who ran the local comedy show. And he was like, afterwards came up, was like, hey, I kind of need somebody to warm up the crowd and be like the host for the incoming, you know, comedians. And I was like, dude, I'm in. So I got a chance to, at a very young age, get up on a stage and be paid very, very little uh, to be mm -hmm. a host and got to see what it was like to, to be the guide for the show, right? My job's to help things start and end on time to make sure that people yeah. are properly warmed up and that they're ready to go. And so it was a very, very early on that I'd figured out, I was like, man, I really like this job. This is fun. Um, and so got a chance to do that. And then that worked into being on camera. It was really easy for people. To, oh, well, Jose, just give him the microphone over there. He'll talk about whatever you need to talk about. And uh, so it kind of snowballed into that. And I'd done some video work. I had a podcast years ago when it first started. Um, you can go look. You got in on the ground floor. I, I did. Yeah, I was one of the first podcasts in iTunes in the state of Tennessee. Uh, and wow. So very cool. Yeah, I really enjoyed that part of it, you know, hosting, you know, telling people's stories. And then it was about 14 years ago that Bristol Motor Speedway came calling. I had some friends that worked there. They had seen some of my video work and they were like, Jose, we're looking for somebody to be up on the big screen and be a host and MC for the fans and bring them into the show. And at that time, most NASCAR tracks were, you know, before the race, fans would show up five, six hours early. They were playing country music videos and TV commercials. And that was it. They really didn't know what to do with these big screens. So right. Bristol was really the first track to say, we're going to take our screens and really focus them on the fans. So we want this, you know, four hours of pre-race to be a big show for the fans. So they come in, sit down, are entertained while they're getting ready for the race. So that was my first job. And I had never, I'd been to one NASCAR race, but I'd never really worked in the sport. Uh, mm -hmm. I loved cars, have always loved cars. Uh, have always loved people and entertainment. So it felt like all the right things. And I was like, well, this is great. And so yeah. they gave me a camera crew and they said, go out in the campgrounds, cook food with people, hang out with them, play games with them. And we'll record all that and play it back on the big screen. And then we want you to be in the stadium leading right up to green flag to kind of pump up the crowd. And man, it felt like water off a duck's back. It was just perfect. I was like, this is, I'm doing what I should be doing. I'm getting to help people have fun and, and it's just snowballed from there. 
That's got to be a pretty good feeling because I'm sure a lot of people out there, you know, they tried different things and they say, okay, this is what I want to do. Maybe they'll make a career change. Maybe they'll have a career that they're not in it for the passion of it. But that's something rare that you had where you had already been working at it, right? You had already experienced a lot of different things in the professional world. But then, as you said, water off a duck's back, like in that moment, you realize that this is what I want to be doing for years and years to come because A, I think I'm good at it. B, it's fun, and C, everything's going really smoothly. So it seemed like all the confluence of events just worked for you in that moment. It, it really did. And it's unfortunate that, you know, the study shows 70, 70% of people are unhappy in their job, 70%. Mm. And it's like to find something that you love and to be able to do that um, is rare. It's unfortunate that most people don't get a chance to do that. And for whatever reason, you know, fear of trying something new or feeling like they're locked into this one job or whatever it is, financial cir circumstances, you know, yeah. where you're born, how you're raised, all these things play into it. Um, but I was very blessed to have a great family from a very young age that my family really encouraged me to, you know, do whatever I wanted to do and to step out and try creative things and be unique. And I also had a family of entrepreneurs, people that were like, hey, you can make a business of doing just about anything. So I knew that I wanted to work for myself and I knew I wanted to do this hosting and emceeing thing, but I never really realized that it would take me here to this point. So it, it's been a fun ride and I'm, I'm super excited to keep it going. So it seems like to dumb it down a little bit, right? You are not the show, even though you're on camera and, you, yes. and you're, you're a personality on camera, you know, in, in our world, as you know your talent, so to speak, but you are not the show. You're not in the business of that. You're more so helping curate the show to, in itself, be great. You are a conduit for making the show what it is. Is that kind of fair to say? Exactly. Exactly. You're spot on. And I think that's what a lot of people sometimes miss the boat on that want to be a host and MC, is yeah. that they want the show to be about themselves. And you look at great hosts, great game show hosts, right? Or a great example of that talk show hosts where they realize that the show is not about them. It's about their guests. It's about the people they're bringing on and the fans that are sitting in the audience and being able to help them tell great stories, pull that out of them, help start on time and end on time, help do all those little things that, that make a great experience and event. And I enjoy that. I love it. I feel like I'm serving people when I do that. I'm using my gifts yeah. and talents to help them have a good time and to help us have a great experience. And in NASCAR in particular, everybody plays their role, right? From mm -hmm. photographers to concession stand workers, to track GMs, to everybody. We all have a role in this experience. Um, and mine just is a little bit bigger sometimes on a screen, but it's yeah. just another piece to make sure that we're putting on a good show for the fans. You mentioned your family, how they kind of have a background as entrepreneurs. And when I was doing research on you before this, your, your family overall is very eclectic, like a really <laughs> crazy background. It is, right? So your dad's from Mexico, your mom's from Florida, you were born in Philly, and then you grew up in the South. Like, yes. holy melting pot. Wow. I know. <laughs> it's it's perfect. It's, I'm an American, right? Like that's the best yeah. way to describe it is that I am all of these different pieces and parts. And I have... A super amazing people in my family lineage. You know, you probably know this, but my dad is way more famous than I am. You know, America's Got Talent. Millions of people around the world have seen him perform. You know, my grandfather and grandmother met in an artist co-working space in Mexico City, and we're hanging out with Diego Rivera and Frida Kahlo, these famous artists. Man. You know, my mom's family are all 
entrepreneurs, construction workers, built things with their hands. You know, this piece of art right here is all hand cut out of wood um, by my wow. great uncle on my mom's side. So I'm surrounded by these crazy artists, entrepreneurs, but they all had one thing in common that I think helps me do my job is that they're wonderful hosts. They love welcoming people into their homes, at their tables, wherever they're at. We always had somebody at our dining room table that I'd never met before. Like every wow. major dinner, it was like somebody from China that was, you know, touring UT when we were living in Knoxville and they wound up at our dinner table. Um, so there was always somebody hanging out with us. And that's the same for both sides of my family. And that's what I feel gave me, you know, the juice that I needed to be a good host is like, there's always room for one more. There's always a way to welcome folks in and make them feel like they're part of what's going on. That's exactly what I was going to say, because you you radiate positivity, as I said, and just welcomeness, openness, acceptance, that type of thing. And it seems like that was instilled in you from a young age, not maybe even consciously, just subconsciously, because your parents were such people that did that always. I can't even imagine sitting down, down at the dinner table and seeing somebody new every single night. That must have been like crazy overload for you, but that's all you've ever known. So that's how you live your life. It makes sense. It, it is. One other funny story is my grandfather, who I never got to meet on my dad's side. Um, he passed away when my dad was 17. That's why they moved to the United States from Mexico. But my grandfather, uh, Jose Castillo, was uh, very well known in Mexico City. He was a host and entertainer, but he owned an art production company. So he did all the parade floats, all the window displays. Um, and he had a company called Art Castillo. That was his production company's name. But one day there was a little little league world series was being held in Mexico, uh, Mexico City. And one of the announcers fell sick and they were like, who can we get that is a great host that throws a great party that could come just talk on the mic. And so they went and got my grandfather, Jose Castillo, and he came and helped call the little league world series game in Mexico City. And afterwards, the head of the biggest radio station in Mexico City comes up to the booth and he's like, who is this guy? I got to hire him. You're coming to be on my radio show. And he's like, man, I can't do it. He's like, I have a whole company that I'm running over here. I just did this for fun today. So and I didn't find that story out till well after I'd started my NASCAR career. And wow. so to go back through the thread and see how all the family pieces and parts came together to make me who I am today, just reminds me how blessed I am and how thankful I am to be able to get to do what I do. Uh, so big thanks to uh, Grandpa Castillo for laying the groundwork for me to be a host. Yeah. Thank you, Grandpa Castillo. Wow. That's a crazy story. Have you ever experimented with other sports? Because I know you did some radio work uh, before you got into NASCAR on a semi full time freelance, whatever we call it basis. Did you ever experiment with other sports, though, like your grandpa? I've done a little bit of everything. And that's what I again, I, I like that. Um, part of my personality is I want to try all the things all the time and mm -hmm. new things. I love it. Um, so I've had a chance to work um, a bunch of other different sports um, and events and experiences. Um, I played in technology for years. I was a contributing editor for Streaming Media Magazine, helped host a lot of their events around the world. Um, I, I did uh, Global Rally Cross one year up at New Hampshire when that was a brand new thing. Um, I've even helped with the football game that we did at Bristol Motor Speedway. Yep. Um, so I, I've had a chance to do some other sports. Um, none of them have ever really stuck like NASCAR has, uh, but I've been blessed to be able to try some other things and it's always been fun. 
you mentioned your grandpa also did some work like uh, with parades and stuff. Is that where the wheelbarrow story comes from? Because I, I watched yes. that earlier today. That was a great story. <laughs> Thank you very much. And that, that was a, a TEDx talk that I did. You can go Google it. Um, but I really enjoy sharing those stories. And that's the other side of the host and MC part that I think is important is sharing stories. And it's your own stories, but also finding other people's stories and sharing those. And I think that's part of the job of a host. If you look at a great dinner party, which is really the way we should describe our events and experiences, right? Is these, think of it like a dinner party and you have to kind of share stories to get the ball rolling, but you also want other people to chime in and you want it to feel like everybody's sharing stories. So I feel like I kind of collect stories. Like I, I really enjoy that. And being able to share some of those has been really cool and getting to do some speaking. And that's kind of what I feel my long-term career is going to be is mm -hmm. doing some more speaking, uh, some, some more inspirational things. And I'm already starting to get to do a little bit of that now, which is really fun. Yeah, it is. Well, I definitely second that encourage everybody to check that Ted talk out. Cause it was really cool. Uh, awesome story too. Like I was listening to it and then I got goosebumps when he got to the part when the money line, I was like, mm, you're good at this. Jose. Damn. <laughs> Thank you very much. I, I yeah, appreciate man. it. No, it, it was cool. So I know that you also had kind of an aha moment at your high school graduation. Uh, you were on stage speaking there. And once you kind of wrapped up your speech, you had the same sort of feeling that you did at Bristol 15 or so years ago where you said, that was, that was pretty fun. That was interesting. I enjoyed that. Might want to explore that a little bit more. So it goes back even before the Bristol thing, all the way back to high school. Yeah, it's I have somehow found my way onto stages in front of microphones my whole life. And um, I think part of it is everybody sees the personality that's willing to do that in the room and goes, okay, that that's the guy or that's the gal that we're going to give the mic to because they're the ones that need to be talking here. It's kind of like, you know, when you're at, you know, a picnic and there's that one pastor that everybody's like, hey, he's going to say the prayer for, right? Everybody kind of knows in their circle yeah. who's the guy that, or gal that can get up and be on a microphone and be comfortable. And so from a very young age, I, I, I got a chance to do a lot of fun things and be thrown in front of the camera or on a stage and some of it probably I'm sure was maybe a little scary at the time, but I don't feel mm -hmm. like it was. I feel like it was just kind of cool experiences to be able to get to do. Yeah. And now it's secondhand nature for you. Yeah. It feels really comfortable. A lot of people ask questions, you know, they're like, Jose, how is it getting on a mic? Do you ever get nervous, butterflies, right. whatever? And of, co of course I do, especially when it's a big moment. You know, when we relaunched NASCAR Trackside Live a couple of years ago and we did this huge show and it was Dale Jr. and Bubba Wallace and like all these people on and like there's 30,000 people and we're like, oh my goodness, this is a big deal. Like we need to make yeah. sure we do this right. But as soon as the lights come up, I step on stage and we're going and we're in the middle of it. It feels great. Like it, it really, it's something that feels very natural to me and I enjoy doing it. Um, and, and probably the one thing that I enjoy the most is dealing with curveballs. Because uh, that's, especially in the live event business, you're always yeah. getting thrown curveballs. And I love that. That's that's something I, I really like, feel like I specialize in. Just something weird to say. You specialize in the unexpected. I don't know. You're a, you're a curveball hitter. If you played baseball, <laughs> you would love the 12-6 <laughs> curve. That's not, that's not weird at all. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, it's been fun to see, you know, some of the the craziness that's happened over the years and, and yeah. feeling comfortable and being able to respond to that is something that I think is unique for for hosts, for people that are in that vein of 
being prepared, sure, doing your homework and research and making sure mm-hmm. you're ready to go, but also in the moment, being able to be flexible and, and try something new and, and, and veer off of, of the path. I think that's important too. And I'm, I'm learning that, you know, as I do different interviews here and there, because you can prepare all you want, right? But let's say hypothetically, you have Dale Jr. coming on Trackside Live. You've prepared for three hours. You got 10 pages of notes. You know what you're going to talk about. And then all of a sudden, 20 minutes before he comes on, let's say he's filling in for an injured driver, you know? All that preparation goes out the window. You got to adjust on the fly. I'm sure instances like that have happened to you in the past. And even though it's in the moment, you're like, well, I just wasted two hours of preparation. It's like, okay, time to go. This is where I make my money. This is what it, where I'm at my best adjusting on the fly type of thing. Oh, for sure. It's And it's always changing. You know, at the last minute, there'll be a guest change. There'll be an mm-hmm. order change. There'll be, you know, yep. and that happens on live TV too. We just, the fans don't see that. And that's, it's just second nature. Yeah. It, yeah. And it's also a great team. You know, when you're working with a great team of people, um, and you've got a great producer in your ear and you've got great camera people and crew that's all ready to go to change things on the fly, then you can make magic with, you know, just about any situation. So anybody that follows you on Twitter or Instagram, Jose, even people that I've seen you at the track, they know that you're in the business of keeping it spicy. And I got to say, <laughs> uh, I started dating my girlfriend about two and a half years ago. I was not a spicy connoisseur. She's made me try spicy stuff. So I feel like we're at this level now where we can appreciate each other because of the spice factor. Mm. That's like a personality trait, though, for you. Like, you are Mr. Spicy. You know that. (laughs) Well, thank you. I am. And a lot of it has to do with, yes, I enjoy spicy food and I enjoy, you know, a great pepper. But you're right. It has to do with more than that and that Mm -hmm. it's about being unique and it's about doing things that maybe make you sweat a little bit and that uh, kind of push yourself um, to try something new and, and be better than you were before. Uh, I, I read a great article about the difference between fear and excitement and how they both have the same physical responses. So when you're afraid and you're nervous and et cetera, you start, your palms start to sweat, you sweat a little bit, you get butterflies, breathing changes, eyeballs, you know, et cetera. Yep. Those are all the same traits for excitement as well. It's all about how you respond to, you know, what the situation is and making it something positive instead of negative. And for me, that's what I feel spicy is and in, in my brand. And, you know, I have peppers with peppers on my sticker business card that I give out to people. And heck, I even painted peppers for a year. So I, I just love it. I think it's a way for me to share my personality with others. It's warm. It's fun. It's exciting. It's different. Um, and I believe everybody has something that's unique about them. So you just have to find out what it is and then be able to share that. Either way, you know, it means something to you if you're having that visceral reaction, right? You know, like the the minute and people have always said, you know, well, the minute that I don't have the passion for something or if if my butterflies don't go over this, that's the day I know I need to hang up the helmet or I need to put down the microphone, whatever. So in a way that makes total sense because, if it doesn't mean enough to you to get up for it and to be a little bit nervous for it, to have that energy, then you may not be in the right field. Because as you said, you found your passion pretty early on and you've been able to cultivate that and hone that. But at the same time, I'm sure every single time you go on, there's just a hint of those butterflies and those nerves and that little bit of sweat that drops down. Because even though you're a pro and you've done this forever, it still is cool to wake up in the morning and say, okay, I'm going to my job and I enjoy what I do because you're one of 30% of people that actually do that. Definitely a hundred percent. And it's, you know, again, going back to that 
that people haven't found necessarily what their true passion is. And uh, I, I encourage anybody and everybody to find out what it is that makes you unique and, and go after that. Um, whether it's in your hobby or your job, you've got to push yourself and, and make sure that you're feeling that excitement at some point during your life um, or else you've never really lived. That's the, uh, that that's the takeaway for me is that people should find those opportunities to, to do something that they're passionate about and, you know, add a little heat to their life. The, the other yeah. side of it is, is that everything is bland out there. People copy each other all the time. Everybody's mm -hmm. like, man, I'm going to do this exactly the same way this other person did it. And that's boring. That is, and that's, it's not a recipe for success. It's a recipe for mediocrity, which Preach. winds up being failure. Um, so you got to find something that's unique. That's your own, that's your own personality and, and go after it or else you're never really going to enjoy what you're doing. I'm glad you explained it that way because seriously, when I was, you know, I wrote down literally spicy is a personality trait because I feel like <laughs> you are that personified as a quick aside, since peppers are kind of your branding and your, your thing that people know you by, do you have a favorite pepper? Do you have like a sliding scale of peppers? Oh, I, I honestly like them all. And I actually plant a garden. My wife and I have a little garden in our backyard and cool. We plant peppers every year. And so this year we're really on to shishito peppers, like super flavorful, okay. not really hot. You know, uh, just fry them up in a pan with a little oil, maybe a little salt and a little soy sauce. Okay. Um, but I, if I had to pick one to live with for the rest of my life, um, I mean, it'd probably be the jalapeno because it can be spicy. It can be sweet. It yep. can be all those different things. Um, but I like them all. And I've tried almost all of them. Um, Boot Jalokia, you know, um, pepper X, which is like stupid, insane hot at that point, it's just no more fun. You're just hurting <laughs> yourself. Um, yeah. but I, I have tried a lot of spicy peppers and I don't know right now. So I've got Shishido, jalapeno, poblano and, uh, Anaheim. So I would say daily, those are, those are what I got going on right now, but good habanero too. Living up to your nickname. That that's the <laughs> only way, right? You have to have a pepper and right. pepper garden in your backyard. It, it has yes. to. <laughs> What's the hottest pepper you've tried? Was it that, that, uh, what was it? Ghost X? Is that what you said? It, yeah. So pepper X. So there's a guy in South Carolina who is, um, has the pucker butt pepper company and he actually cross breeds peppers and makes his own strain. Um, who knew so, there was a pepper breeding underground? I mean, there really is. my it's, Lord, I know it's serious stuff too. Uh, and this guy is just insane. He's out of his mind. Um, but, uh, the Carolina Reaper, he was the one that created the Carolina Reaper. Okay. So, so the Pepper X is, I, I think, anywhere from 15 to 20% hotter than that. So if you've ever had a Carolina Oof. Reaper, which is just, again, stupid hot, then more than that. And it's not something <laughs> like, see, that's not spicy. That's pain. And pain is different <laughs> than spicy. Big like, difference. Yes. Yeah. Spicy should make everything else better. That's what, you know, I feel in a dish, if you're adding heat and it, makes everything else taste better then great. Then that's the right amount of heat. If it kills it all and you can't taste anything else and you know, you're crying and all that's too much. That's no fun. Spice adds a little tingle, adds a little bit of flavor to it, differentiates yourself. When you get to that point, that's just like pouring milk down your throat yeah, in your eyes, getting the spice <laughs> off of everywhere. Nobody needs that. Nobody wants no. that. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm not. That's that's too much for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm glad we're on the same page with that. Let's get back on track here for a little bit because, you know, you have a ton of fun always. Right. That your, your smile on your face radiates all the time. But when I was doing some more research on you, I saw on your website, 
kind of like some deep stuff. So, you know, when you as an MC and as a host pitch yourself to people, you have three distinct things that you try to instill. And that's add flavor, going back to the spiciness aspect, connect people, which we've talked about at length. And the third one, which I want to dive into a little bit is change the world. That's pretty deep. And those three are clearly pretty passionate items for you. So where did the passion for the last one specifically changing the world, where did that passion come from? Because it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to actually live it and do it. It's a, it's a great point. And it's something that's, it's very personal, very near and dear to me because I saw it modeled out again by my family, both my mom and dad's side of the family. And, um, the, uh, the passion side for, for changing the world is it's really simple. It's one person at a time and it's finding a way to help somebody else, uh, and love somebody else. Really. That's the, if we're, if we're commanded to, to love one another, then we got to find a way to do that, uh, on a very small level, but ultimately that can change the world. And that's what I saw modeled through hospitality with my mom and dad and with, um, our family, uh, again, on both sides. Uh, and that's something that I wanted to make sure that I did with my family, with our house, with my work and what I do in my life. And so everything that I try to do, you know, the forward facing part for most people is that, oh, he's a spicy guy and he's connecting people and he's having fun. But the, the backdoor side, what you've touched on and kind of the secret sauce is that when, when we can change just one person and show love to just one person, we can change the world if everybody does that. Um, and so I try to emulate that in what I do. And uh, hopefully that comes through in, in every aspect that I, in every relationship that I have with somebody. And so that's kind of my secret sauce on the backside is to love one another and, uh, and do that in a way that, that brings people back together again. So I appreciate I like you asking that, by the way. Sauce. No, yeah. yeah, no problem. I like that you use secret sauce because the sauce has to have some peppers in it, right? Has it does. To. It does. Yeah, and that's it. You gotta you gotta be unique. You gotta have something different, but but also you have to do something that matters. Like I think a lot of times people look at entertainment and the and what we do, the show that we put on, as that's the end all. And it's not. That's just a way to bring people together uh, to reach these longer term, bigger goals. And so it's fun in the moment, and I enjoy helping people maybe forget something that's going on in their life for a weekend so that they can just have a vacation and have a good time. Um, but ultimately, hopefully what we do is give us a place to love people. And that love lasts well beyond the race weekend and gives us a way to help people way beyond the race weekend. So that's my hope. Have you ever thought about uh, having a career in speaking, public speaking or something? You're pretty good at it. You, you get the people motivated. <laughs> Thank you very much. I enjoy, I enjoy it. I really do. And that's, you know, it's funny enough, that was one of the threads that helped in the hosting emceeing was I worked with a, a Christian camp called Dover River Gorge years ago. And one of my favorite things was doing these small group um, team building exercises and taking people like through ropes courses and out in the wilderness and things like that. And through that experience, I really enjoyed working with small groups of people, right? Where you, everybody gets to know each other, 12 to 15 folks. And still to this day, I don't care what the group size is. I, I genuinely try to feel and make it feel for everybody. Like it's a small group setting. Like, yeah, man, we're all doing this cool thing together. Isn't this great that the 12 of us are here having fun. Like that's my goal is to try to make those big events and experiences feel like those small intimate moments. You're also a husband. You're also a father. Uh, is your wife and your daughters, are they also spicy? Are they on the, the pepper X scale? Are they just 
wild and crazy like you? What, what's the deal there? Yeah. So I am amazingly blessed with three wonderful women in my life. And I have my wife, Shannon, who is a better salesman than I am, uh, which is really, uh, yes, she is. She, uh, she works in commercial real estate and, uh, there you go. <laughs> super talented. She also has the hostess gene as well. And so we really enjoy hosting and, and using our dinner table and our house and our community and neighborhood as a, a way to connect with others as well. Um, and then two daughters, 17 and 14, Sophia and Olivia, and they're just the light of my life. And they both are growing up way too fast. Um, but they are definitely both spicy in their own way. Um, <laughs> one getting ready to go off to college next year and the next one getting ready to go into high school. So, um, our house is definitely very spicy right now. And we have a lot of great times around the dinner table. We love to cook. And so we, you know, when I'm not traveling, get a chance to sit around yep. the dinner table a lot and, oh, the conversations are very spicy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. They probably just got like pepper hats and shirts laying all around the house and stickers. They, they did. They did. Both my girls were like, okay, dad. Like after I was, I started painting peppers and I did that for a year. I painted a pepper every day for a year. And every day. Yeah. Every day for a year. I painted 365 of them. So if you go through some of my social media, look for hashtag three, six, five peppers. Um, a couple of years ago, I'd gotten really just on the road too much and was like, man, why am I so tired coming off the road? And it was, I was losing, I didn't have my creative outlet. I, and I was like, I wouldn't play music. I wasn't, you know, doing anything. And I was like, man, I need to do something. And I've never really painted. My family are all artists, but so I started painting a pepper a day for a year. And after a year, the girls, my two daughters were like, okay, dad, can you pick something else to paint? Cause peppers are just, <laughs> you're getting a little old with the peppers. <laughs> yeah. What well, do they like rot out or something or does the paint kind of like keep them good? No. So I painted canvases, little small canvases of peppers. So, Oh, um, I was thinking way yeah. too deep into it. <laughs> no, just like representations of peppers. So like, yeah, you know, I just would sketch one out in pencil or pen or Sharpie or whatever. So. Wow, I feel dumb now. Okay. No, no, was no. That, no they, uh, that's a good question. Yeah. Were, were they like all the same? Were they all jalapenos? Were there some habanero in there? What about bell peppers? Bell or bell peppers are versatile, but they're kind of yes. boring at the same time. Yeah, but you know what? They they work. They make fajitas better. Like that's really you They know, sure do. Um no, I painted everything. I mean, all kinds of peppers, uh, from bell to scotch bonnet to habanero to pepper X to everything in between and um, and I've got a lot of them online. So if you go, go online, you can check them out. Um, but I'll send you some too. You can look at them. Yeah, I'm actually no, getting ready to take them down. We have being an entrepreneur and not being able to sit still. I also own a co-working space called spark Plaza with my wife. And in that space, we feature local artists. And so during the pandemic, we didn't have any local artists because we didn't have a lot of people coming through. So I took all 365 of my peppers and hung them up on the wall. Wow. And so they're getting ready to come down next month. And, uh, I think we found a home for them where they're going to be able to permanently live. Um, but it was, it was a fun experience and, and something cool to be able to do to say, Hey, you did something once a day for a year. Uh, a lot of people yeah. can't say that. I'm sure your daughters will be happy that they'll be out of the house now. <laughs> they're like, really peppers time to move on to yeah. something else. Maybe yeah. Hats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> um, I mean, we mentioned, you know, you've done a lot of different things to get to where you are now. And I know you've had some failures along the way. You know, you mentioned working at a radio station, the success that you had as an MC didn't happen overnight. You thought you were going to be a stand up comedian. That didn't happen. You're funny, clearly not funny enough. So exactly. in all seriousness, though, I mean, you're still grinding now. 
to hone your craft and all that good stuff, but have the failures that you've experienced along the way? It's a really cliche question, but that's got to have made you better along the way, right? Because now you know what works, what doesn't, how to pick yourself back up after you have a bad day, things like that. Yeah, 100%. And I think people who don't fail don't find out what really makes them tick. And I think until Mm -hmm. you have something colossally bad happen in your life, work, you know, relationships, whatever, you you really don't understand when things are really good. And I I was fortunate enough to have um, people around me who loved me and supported me even through those failures. And as an entrepreneur, I've tried to start a bunch of different businesses over the years that have, you know, smashed and burned spectacularly. Um, And, you know, throughout that, to have a good support system, to have um, good people in place and, you know, and, and a strong background to be able to say, okay, I'm going to get up, pick, pick myself up, dust myself mm-hmm. off and try again. Um, you start to find out what works and what doesn't. And um, I, I think failure too is the best way to experiment and to find out if something new works or doesn't. And a lot of times we get caught in the rut of doing the same thing over and over again. And um, I love seeing people fail, 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 and then be successful because they found out ways that things didn't work. Um, some, some specific things are like, you know, you know, trying, trying out, you know, new ways to talk to people, whether it's through social media in particular, where you try all these different things and you're like, man, this is going to work and it's going to grow up and, and just, it's going to be awesome. And, and then it doesn't work. And you're like, oh man, and we're going to try this now and try this now and try this now. And through that process, you just start to see what, what really excites you, what makes you better and, um, and what people gravitate to you know, towards too. I'm a big fan of, you know, success through marketing, like find out what people want and give it to them. And if it works and people want it, then there'll be a market for it. So be okay with falling on your face. It's, it's going to happen to everybody. And, um, you know, it still, still happens to this day. And I think people who say they're not making any mistakes are not trying hard enough. I like that. Yeah. You can fall on your face. You can scrape your knee, but it'll heal. You'll get back up. You'll try again. I like yeah. that. And especially in racing too. I mean, as yeah. cliche as it is, if you don't win, technically you failed, right? Yeah. So you got to yeah. pick yourself back up, figure out what to do better and, and get back at it. So there's a lot of parallels there. There is. And I love race car drivers are the ultimate optimists because, you know, think about it. You go to a racetrack and, you know, at the end of the race, there's 39 people that are walking out of there with their heads hung low. And yep. And, and no, it's not the truth. Almost instantly, most of them, unless they're mad about some particular thing, are like, you know what? On to next week. On to next week. We're going to talk about what's happening out there. And that's what mm-hmm. I love, too, about our sport and, and what it gives to the fans is that, that hope, that you know, optimism of, you know what? We got another chance. Let's yep. go after it again. Um, and that's, again, some of my favorite race car drivers over the years have been super positive and focused in on that hope and optimism more so than others. And I love that. That I feed off that too. Professional host transitioning to racing just as I wanted to. Uh, (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about Trackside Live. You do that with Amy Long, but with the pandemic, that obviously was not happening because there was nobody Trackside, uh, so you couldn't do Trackside Live. So how did you guys pivot to the virtual world that we're all living in nowadays? And now that things are getting back to somewhat normal, fans are back at the track, I assume you guys are going to be back doing some sort of hybrid type of thing for trackside? 
Yeah. So that's the hope. And, and fans ask me this question all the time. And my answer is we're working on it. We really are. There's um, both, you know, from the top down and from us, the bottom up is like, how can we get back to giving fans what they want, which is a fun, entertaining experience beside the racetrack. That's also something that they can watch anywhere in the world. And yep. it really kudos to, to Marcus Smith and to SMI for saying, this is something we need and how can we bring it back? And so it was really Marcus that was like, look, we got to try and make this thing happen. So we were able to do it for three seasons. And, you know, the hope was we were getting pretty close to where like, okay, we, this is something we can take to more tracks than just the SMI tracks. And mm-hmm. again, we even saw some examples of it pop up at other uh, tracks as well. And of course, then the pandemic hit and then it's like, well, uh, so, uh, for a lot of us and, and our entire team too, cause this wasn't just Amy and I, it was all our camera folks, oh, yeah. you know, directors, producers, et cetera. A lot of them, you and I both know, and it was like, how do we transition to this? And so for us, it's been a lot of, you know, going small, going social, um, focusing on zoom interviews, focusing on yep. what we can do virtually, uh, which has been a lot. I've been, been able to do some cool stuff like, give William Byron a virtual sword over Instagram live for winning the <laughs> Bristol race. Like that's not something I ever thought that I would get to do, but I got nope. to do it. It was pretty cool. Um, so we're also looking ahead at, you know, now that fans are starting to come back um, we've been able to do a lot of screen stuff. So working on the screens doing, you know, even some in-person stuff. Um, and I think whether it's towards the end of this season or at the beginning of next season, we will see some version of NASCAR trackside live come back. I think the fans deserve it. Um, Mm -hmm. My hope is, is that it would be at every race every weekend, Um, whether I'm involved with it all the time or not. I think we just need to have something for the fans that is in that vein and that provides driver access that provides fun games. It's the late show for NASCAR. We need that at the track. So the fans can have a good time and drivers can interact with the fans. So I'm, I'm pulling for it and I think it will happen. I love that analogy is the late show type of thing, because as you know, you know, it's not one of the serious shows. And I think you've been quoted as saying such that like the drivers really do enjoy going on the show and talking with you guys because they know it's not going to be a press conference or an interview yeah. where they're being grilled by people like me or journalists that are <laughs> saying, well, what's your contract status for next year? What, what right. happened in turn four? It's something that they can relax with you know, take off their fire suit, not wear a suit and tie, play some games, enjoy it with the fans. And that's something that they genuinely look forward to. And that shows in the content. And that's why the fans love it so much. Agreed. I love, in my mind, I would much rather know about Corey LaJoy and how far he can toss a tire into blow up bowling pins than whether or not he's got a ride next year. Like in my mind, I'm like, that's, and fans want to see that in that moment. And, and you're right. It has been part of the success of the show is that it's like, we're not here to do any gotcha questions. We're not trying to pull anything out of you. We're genuinely here to be a host for the fans and for you, the driver to help put on a good show for them. And if that means, you know, a water gun fight with Tyler Reddick and the fans after he won, which is awesome moment. Yeah. Those are the things that, you can't do on another show. Um, Mm -hmm. and we're poised to perfectly do that. And that's the niche that I feel we want to fill. So how have you cultivated these relationships with the drivers though? Because as you mentioned, right, you didn't grow up going to the track every single week, watching every single race on TV for lack of a better term, you kind of stumbled upon the NASCAR world and it's taken you in and you've learned to love it, grown to love it. 
So the drivers have not seen you for 20, 30 years at this point, right? And obviously there's new drivers coming and going every single year, every single week. So how have you been able to cultivate the relationships with the subjects, which are the drivers, so that they are able to feel so comfortable with you? Because as we mentioned, they look forward to it and they know you by name. They know Amy. So that that's something that you should be proud of too. And I, I know you are because especially in this world where everything is so regimented, so predictable, so immediate gratification type of thing. This is something that everybody looks forward to, not just the drivers, but the fans. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. And yeah. we have a lot of help with that too. We've got uh, you know a great team of people. And that's something else that I've seen too, is that there's not many other pieces of our sport where everybody wants it to be successful. Like we have the tracks are saying, yeah, we'll send you, you know, guests, you know, VIPs, whatever. Um, you know, the, the NASCAR is saying, yeah, we'll send you drivers and the sponsors are saying, we'll send you swag. And so everybody has kind of invested into this and said, yeah, mm -hmm. this is something that we feel is, is valid. I think the big word is trust is we have to build relationships with these drivers so that they know that is, this is not journalism. This is fun. That we're going to have a good time. Um, a lot of it too, is getting them involved. So giving them the opportunity to help write the scripts for some of the things we do. Right. Um, you know, some of the cool moments that we've had with drivers have really been the drivers stepping into what we're already doing and saying, Hey, can I, you know, you know, Eric Jones, can I bring my dog? Yes, of course. Bring your dog. And guess what? We bought big treats for him, like this massive dinosaur bone. And, and like the dog wanders off the stage out onto the front and the fans start yeah. petting him. And like, those are things that that was Eric saying, Hey, can I bring my dog? And we're like, yes, come on. So we're trying to say, trust us that we're going to have a good time. And we want you to be a part of that. And that requires us being willing to change things around and be flexible and be willing to do what the drivers want. But I think it also starts with the fans and being fan focused where you're like, look, if we focus on the fans and if at the end of the night, they've had a great time and then we're all going to win. Um, drivers are going to like it. The tracks are going to like it. You know, the fans are going to like it. So let's focus on them. If we do that, we're going to put on a good show and everything's going to work out. All right. So what is the spiciest interview, whether it's on Trackside Live or on the Jumbotron at Bristol, whatever, the spiciest interview that you've conducted? That oh can be goodness. that can be interpreted however you however you want. <laughs> uh, so I have I've had a couple of spicy moments for sure. Um, one was at Bristol Motor Speedway. And um, so Steven Tyler with Aerosmith had just released Say a country no more. album. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he had just released his country album. And so he was at Bristol to do a couple of songs. And of course they were like, Jose, we're going to have you introduce Steven Tyler. And, you know, not a lot of people give me stars in the eyes. Like I've gotten a chance to hang around a bunch of people. That doesn't really get me going. I'm like, everybody puts on their pants one leg at a time, yep. unless you're Steven Tyler putting on shiny pants, you know? And so <laughs> they tell me five minutes before I'm getting ready to introduce them that NBC is going to take the show live. So they're actually going to pull the live song from him performing on the stage to live TV. Okay. And so of course, anytime that happens, you know, I always try to button it up a little bit and make sure everything's, you know, a tip top. And so the guy walks up to me from Bristol. He's like, Jose, you're going to be do the intro live. You're going to go up on stage, intro Steven Tyler. Don't screw it up. Taps me on the thing and walks off. And I'm like, great. Thanks a lot. And great encouragement there. <laughs> so I get ready to go up on the stage and I'm walking up and Steven Tyler's coming in and he winks at me and goes like this, like, 
and says, basically, you're going to do a great intro. So this is how I walk up onto the stage and the crowd goes nuts. And I'm like, you know, Steven Tyler and the crowd just goes wild. He comes up, plays a great set. Um, I've never had uh, a celebrity wink at me and tell me I did a good job on the intro. So that, that was a pretty spicy moment. Was your wife okay with that wink? Because I think there might have been something behind that one, Jose. She, she was standing right beside the stage too. And oh. she was just kind of like, like this right here. It was <laughs> <laughs> so it was definitely spicy for her too. Everybody oh, was man. freaking out. Man, they had security. Like the drivers were trying to crawl over pit road oh, yeah. to get to. I mean, it was like it was one of the, it was him and Peyton Manning probably were the two that just were insane. Everybody just wanted to be there right next to him. Um, but I, you know. As far as, oh, somebody made me a, um, a moon pie burger one time at Bristol. We got to eat that. And that was, was pretty fun with the chef tasting weird new things. Um, was it it's, good? It's, oh, it was fantastic. It was amazing. That's, that's the other part I like about is the food around racetracks is just so good. Yeah, it's, it's really good. So anytime I get to try some, and now people bring me peppers too. So I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> yes. All like, here's a little bag of peppers. It used to be, you know, these brown paper bags with Mason jars in them. And now it's, you know, peppers. So I don't know <laughs> how I missed out on that one. All right. So we got Steven Tyler, Peyton Manning. Uh, there's countless other celebrities that you've interviewed. I know, I think Luke Wilson, Dave Portnoy happened last yeah. year at Daytona, maybe. Any other big time, big name celebrities that come to mind just right off the dome that you've gotten the chance to talk with? Oh, man. Um, because celebrities go to the track all the time, as we know, but you just got to narrow it down to a select few, you know? Yeah. Uh, MC Hammer was great. And actually, we mm. got to talk on Twitter after the event. Uh, he was at Sonoma. And man, he was just a ton of fun. Great energy. Awesome guy. Really loved chatting with him. Um, you know, the... Uh, what about Gabriel Iglesias? He was at Sonoma one year. Yeah, I did. I got a chance to meet him and talk with him. He yeah. was hilarious. He was yeah. awesome. Total fun. Uh, Guy Fieri was him in a going? urinal one time. <laughs> at Sonoma, right before the race. I remember. I was super sunburned, and he commented on that. And isn't that always weird? Like, we're in a position that we kind of get to hang around with these folks, and they're normal folks. They really are. They're just, you know, yeah. they're just like us. But, it, you know, we don't. We, we kind of take for granted sometimes the fact that we get to just rub elbows, you know, with, yeah. with these folks and people think that's so cool. And you're like, but yeah, they're just people though. Really? You know? Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, it, it's been fun. And it, I think the other one that was really interesting was Jeff Foxworthy. He was, uh, mm. he, I don't know if you remember, he came out with grit chips. I was going to say he sponsored that race at Bristol. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we got to interview him and, uh, and hang out with him. some, and he was hilarious. Um, but it, it's been a ton of fun and pretty much everybody that I've ever interacted with has been great. Um, oh, the other one was Charlie Daniels and Charlie mm. uh, was getting ready to play a concert again. I was introducing him and we were talking backstage and getting all that worked out. And, and I was really worried because Charlie was just like moving really slow and like, and I'm like going, Oh no, Charlie's not looking good. Like, is this, how he normally yeah. is. Is he okay? And he like, so I introduce him and he kind of walks slowly up the stairs. And as soon as his boot hit the stage, he lit up like a Christmas tree, started dancing, playing, wearing that bow out. And Man. I was like, that is a consummate professional. And it was, it blew my mind. I was like, first I thought it was an old guy that was like, should be in a retirement yeah. home. And then as soon as he stepped on stage, it was on and he crushed it, killed it. 
That is really cool. What yeah. about uh, anybody on your bucket list that you'd like to interview, whether it's in NASCAR or just anybody else in general? Dude, I mean, now that Michael Jordan's hanging around, yeah, I want to I want to get a chance to chat with him. Oh, yeah. Um, I've seen him a Pitbull. few times, but uh, and Pitbull, too. I've not had a chance to interview him yet either. Um, but honestly, I I love sharing those moments with the fans because uh, they they love it. That fans view this giant screen this jumbotron as a window into the experience that going that's going on around them and we want to show them clips that they can't see up close and personal because you know we're at these huge events where somebody's a mile away so like we're at texas motor speedway and i'm interviewing the dallas cowboy cheerleaders right and they're all around and so like a this is like for fans it's like the closest that they're ever going to get to a person how can we show them and interview that person and those people and help them feel like they're right there in the moment. So for me, it's anybody. I, I look forward to sharing the stories of everybody as long as the fans get a chance to be a part of it. And you just did something with dude. Perfect at Bristol, right? That was cool. (laughs) That was awesome. Those guys are amazing. Like it was, they're crazy. And they basically, I was the sixth dude. So they were like, you're going to kind of be our help to transition between all the games and activities. And um, they were amazing. They were we all see drivers that stay afterwards and sign autographs and take selfies. These guys stuck around for probably an hour after the show up at the wow. fence line, all five of them talking to every kid, taking every kid's phone, doing a selfie, um, just really engaging guys. And they, and they were awesome. Like seriously from, I deal with a lot of celebrities, a lot of folks that you're kind of like, eh, you know, they were wonderful to work with and, I think they put on a heck of a show. My goodness. <laughs> well, since you were the sixth dude, did you sign any autographs? I mean, I feel like you had I did. To. And that's, that's the weird part too. And this is, <laughs> I, I don't ever say no to that because for the person asking, they think I'm famous. They've seen me yeah. on a screen and they're like, okay, Jose's famous. I'm not compared to the people that I'm interviewing and the people that, right, and I'm right. the host, my job's to put on the show, but I don't ever want to turn somebody down because they, you know, this is a moment for them. And all they're trying to do is remember is create a memory. And I got an autograph from that guy that one time at that race. That's all they'll remember. They won't know that it's me, but that for them is a memory moment. And <laughs> so we had one of those at NASCAR trackside live It'd have a lot of people come up. We'd sign autographs after the show. And this little kid comes up a girl and she has a baby doll and she hands the baby doll up to the stage and says, will you sign you know, my baby doll. And I'm like, and I look over and there's a photographer friend of mine over there and he's taking photos and he's like, and I'm like, I, I don't want to sign it. And so I'm like looking for a parent and I see the mother there and I'm like, you, you, you don't want me to sign the baby. And, she, and she's like, go ahead. It's fine. So uh, she wanted me to sign on the head. So I like moved down to the arm and like autographed a little tiny piece of the little plastic baby doll's <laughs> arm and handed it back to the child. And I was like, this child has no idea who I am, but none <laughs> made a memory there of I got an autograph on my little plastic baby doll at NASCAR Trackside Live in Atlanta Motor Speedway. <laughs> it's a memory, that's for sure. It's a memory. It's a memory. <laughs> so I consider it an honor, but it is definitely I do, I do not feel like I have um, deserve you know deserve that opportunity to be able to do it. Yeah. But I do it because it's the fans again. It's it's a memory for them. They're they're. This is a cool thing. I'll end with this. You give me so much of your time. I thank you, man. It's been awesome yeah, my to, pleasure. to catch up with you. So you've been doing this for a little bit now. You're enjoying it. You're thriving. You're great at what you do. 
you're in NASCAR now, right? You got in about a decade and a half ago, and we snatched you up. Can't get rid of you now. Uh, <laughs> is there anything else that you want to do in your professional career, whether it comes to emceeing, public speaking? You mentioned that that might be something you explore kind of after the NASCAR realm is done for you. Is there anything specific either in the sport or outside of it that you got your eye on and you want to accomplish or do? Yeah. So we, we shot a pilot for a TV show and of course with all the craziness, it, it wound up not happening. And I've had several of those conversations before. Uh, but I love the idea of hosting a show that focuses on other people's stories. I think we have some amazing people here in our country and around the world who do amazing things. And I love hearing their stories and I love being able to kind of draw them out. But the hope is someday that we can put together a show that highlights some of those folks. And yeah. so that's, that's one of the things that's still on my bucket list to check off. Um, but apart from that, I've done pretty much most of the things on my bucket list, which again, I'm very blessed and very awesome. thankful to be able to say that I've, I've done that. And my hope is, is that I get to continue to help people having fun this last year. If anything was brought to the forefront for me, it was that people gathering together is important and how do we continue to build community and uh, connect with other, uh, other people in a meaningful way. And yes, what we do is entertainment and it is, you know, NASCAR is a sport, um, but it's also a way for people to get together and make memories and so my hope is, is that I can continue uh, to help people get together and have fun no matter where I am in the world or what I'm doing. I want to keep on adding flavor every day. That is a great place to end it. Making me want to run through a brick wall here with this, uh, <laughs> this motivation, but no, for real, like I, I said it a couple of times, your positivity is it radiates. And I don't remember how long ago you did the, how I got here with Jeff Gluck, who's already, who's been on the show. One of my biggest mentors but that specific episode stuck with me uh, because, you know, he said that you have a smile on your face 99% of the time. You're always so happy, so fun-loving, so kind, generous, honest. And you said something that I think was pretty impactful, especially nowadays in, in the mental health world and awareness of that that we live in, which is, you know, if you saw yourself behind closed doors with your family, they would tell mm -hmm. you that you're not that guy 100% of the time and you do have your bad days and it's important yep to take the good with the bad, but the fact that you're able to to provide a spark and, and to provide joy to a lot of other people, which you are aware of, that's something to be super proud of. So I, I thank you for the time here today, and I thank you for the joy that you've given to all NASCAR fans all over the world, everybody in general, and myself as well, because I know whenever I'm at the track, I can look up on the Jumbotron, it's gonna be spicy, and I, I always look forward to hanging out with you in person as well. So thank you for everything. It's been awesome to chat with you. Thank you so much, Davey. Great questions. I really enjoyed it. And I look forward to maybe going to a concert with you one day. How about we check that off your bucket list? So, you know, I've never been to one. Look I at do. that. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, I, I eat a salad now, but I have never been to a concert. My girlfriend might kill me if I go to my first one without her. You're so right. If she go can with come, her. That'd be great. <laughs> go with her. <laughs> okay. That's cool. Thank we'll you see the red time, hot brother. chili peppers. It'll hey, be, hey, be good for the both done. of us. There we go. Let's make that happen. All right, I'll look at concert dates. I'll hit you up. All right. <laughs> and we're back. Big thank you to Jose for all the time he gave me. And we also hung out on Zoom a little bit before and after, just shooting the breeze, catching up, talking about both of our lives and catching up because I hadn't seen him in a while. So great to catch up with you, Jose. I appreciate your time more than you know, brother. 
And I can't wait to see you at the track soon, man. Let's race at Road America, July 4th weekend. Preview the race. First race that the Cup Series has competed in at that track since 1956. So basically, it's the first race there, right? First in the modern era, essentially. I'm pretty hyped for it. Uh, road course suspects, they're probably going to be up front like we expect. But it is a new venue for the Cup Series, so you never know who you might see surprise you up front. It's America's birthday, and America's in the track name. Austin Sendrick said it himself, so I don't really see a negative there. Uh, and Zach Sterniolo and I talked about it on the Front Stretch podcast this week. I don't know if it's a good thing that there's been three different venues for July 4th weekend in the last three years for NASCAR, but maybe this could be the one that has some staying power. It's hot in the middle of July, or I guess the beginning of July, and Road America's in Wisconsin. Could be a little bit cooler weather-wise. A lot of fans are going to come out for this weekend. We heard over 120,000 across the premises. So I'm excited to see the deal and what happens up there. And I'm excited to celebrate my birthday this weekend with some road course action from Road America. Check all the action out on NBCSN this weekend, Xfinity and Cup. Lug nuts of the week. Cue that funky music, white boy. Some sad news to report. Jack Ingram, NASCAR Hall of Famer and former Bush Series champion. He has passed away at the age of 84. So thoughts and prayers go out to Mr. Ingram's family and friends. A legend lost too soon. Ryan Ellis, you guys remember what happened to him at Mid-Ohio in the Xfinity Series? He got wrecked on the last lap by Cody Ware. So Cody's repaying the favor. Rick Ware Racing is going to field Ryan in the cup race at Kansas. That's some pretty cool payback if I do say so myself. And Ryan's also going to run for BJ McLeod Motorsports this weekend at Road America in Xfinity. Todd Gordon is retiring from crew chief duties atop the pit box at the end of this season for Team Penske. Lure Lock is sponsoring Ty Dillon at Gaunt Brothers Racing this weekend for Road America. And Skag Power Equipment is doing the same for Richard Petty Motorsports and Eric Jones. NASCAR and iRacing announced a partnership as the official simulation partner of NASCAR. Kaz Gralla has joined Jordan Anderson Racing for Road America in the Xfinity race this weekend. Ty Gibbs, he's going to pilot a fifth Joe Gibbs Racing entry, the 81 this weekend at Road America. And lastly this week, Michelle and Grant Enfinger, congratulations to them for welcoming their new child to the world. So congratulations to the new mom and dad. That'll wrap things up for episode 114 of Victory Lane 2.0. If you like what you heard here today, if you liked Jose, you liked Kyle Busch talking about double headers, you liked Papa Siegel's Wayback segment, whatever, do me a favor, please. It really helps me out in spreading the word. Leave a rating and a review on iTunes. You can also subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Google, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. We should be available there for your consumption. And if we're not, drop me a line, and I'll try to rectify that issue for you. Until next week, when we have another guest on from the NASCAR world, and I will be 25, quarter of a century old, party people. Thank you for listening to Victory Lane. Stay safe, get outside, get vaccinated, have a safe 4th of July, and I'll catch you on the flip side. Happy birthday, America.